I got a, you know, when it was happening, there was a little bit of media, there was a little bit of stuff, but we had total different circumstances in our country, including who was in power, the other party, all kinds of things going on here, okay? When the bird flu happened, 40 million people were affected. 40 million people got bird flu. Just in the United States, 300,000 people were hospitalized from the bird flu. 300,000. Tens of thousands of people died from the bird flu. Just throwing all that stuff out there. That's just one example I can give you over the last 30 years. But for some reason, this one is the worst of the worst. We've already seen, just last year, we already saw more people die from the flu than, than is, has died from, in fact, it's over a thousand people died from the flu last year. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're in, we're in barely double digits in the United States. Now, obviously, every life is important, but here's my question. Why is this so big now when it has never been big, and we have stuff like this happen every single year. Every year we have stuff like this. Thousands of people die from the flu. Why is this so crazy and out of control? And apparently, I'm learning a lot here, apparently um, the currency of the apocalyptic end of the age is toilet paper. I didn't know that. That's a huge one for me. I'm learning there. Now, here's, here's what I, I just want you to process this. Just, just put this in your mind. In the end times, there's going to be a lot of deception. This, scripture says this. There's going to be a lot of lying. There's going to be a lot of manipulation. There's going to be a lot of attack on the kingdom of God. The thing that has got me the most out of all of this is how easily thousands and thousands of churches just said, okay, we won't have church. In the end times, the government is not going to say, we hate your God, we're going to make you stop having church, because then the churches will rise up because they're picking on their rights. They're not picking on their God, they're not picking on their spiritual walk, they're not picking on the true reason we get together, which is connection, spiritual connection, all that kind of stuff. They're picking on their rights, and people in America will stand up for their rights. But I don't think the government is going to do it that way. I think the government's going to use whatever is at their disposal. I don't know, something like coronavirus. And I think, I think this is a little toe in the water. That's just my opinion. It's just a little toe touching in the water and seeing how easily could we do this? How, how simple would it be for us to do this? And here's the thing. I was getting all kinds of questions and texts and phone calls and stuff over the last couple of days. Um, Scott, are you canceling church? No. And, and most of the pastors that called me and asked me this said, I, kn I knew I could trust you. <laughs> I don't know what exactly they mean by that, but here's the, here's the question I have. Because all the pastors are saying, well, this is only be two weeks, it'll be good. I think most pastors are just saying, hey, I got a two-week vacation, which I think is discouraging. If that's true, I don't know if it's true. If that's true, that's very discouraging. But what, is, what if at the end of the two weeks, our governor who, by the way, has been very, very, very anti-God and anti-church for a long time now. He was really nice uh, a couple days ago on the phone to all the churches. 
But it's amazing how he has such an anti-God stance. And what if he says in two weeks, no, we need to go another two weeks? You know what? This has gotten so bad because we, we, we may be even up to 30 deaths, 40 deaths. Not, not 1,500 like the flu killed last year, but we could be up to, I don't know, 50 deaths. What if he says, uh, shut your churches down another six months? This is what's getting me the most, is how many people in our country just went, you know what, you're right. You're right, no church. No church. We need to buy a bunch of toilet paper and, and beans. I, I, this, this is, guys, I know, I know for whatever reason I seem to be like this small, tiny percentage of this. I understand this. And who knows, I may be completely, totally wrong about all this. And I, and I don't want people to get infected. I don't want people to die. But you understand, do you know, do you know how many people are, are in danger under 30 years old? Zero. And under, from 30 to 60, it's like a 1% chance that this is going to affect you. Now, over 60, the odds do go up if you've already got issues, respiratory issues, things like that. Why is our, is our government reacting like this? I think this. I think that they saw an opportunity to try to hurt our country, and I'm talking about a handful of very anti-capitalist, um, anti-freedom people in our country. And I think they saw an opportunity, and they took it, and they're attacking this, and they've made sure that the media is blowing this all out of proportion so that they can hurt our country, hurt our trust in our country, and hurt our government. And here's the big thing, to see how much power they can wield across the country in controlling things. That's just my thought. I could be totally wrong. You decide. Revelation chapter 20. <clears throat> this is, I'm going to look at the, um, the judgment, the uh, final judgment that we all um, are going to be at. This is, this is an event that every person that's ever lived and ever will live and is alive today will all be at. This is, the, this is the event of all events. It's called the judgment. God is going to be judging every single human that has ever existed. Now, we're seeing a, a, a big surge, and this happens about every um, 75 to 100 years. We're seeing a big surge right now over the last probably 10 to 15 years where we're starting to push the idea that there is actually hell. We're starting to push that aside that there's actually judgment, that we're pushing that aside. And we're starting to see these things. Um, and I'm seeing by the church world, being attacked by the church world, where, no, there isn't a hell, there isn't a Satan, there isn't any of this kind of stuff. But we're going to, um, we're, we're just going to either, and they've got a, there's a whole bunch of options, but basically what they're saying is there's no hell, uh, there's no eternal um, anything, okay? And, and th 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 this is strange to me because... It's so obvious in Scripture. It's, I, I, don't know, I don't know how you can read the Bible and not come up with a reality of, of, um, of God, Satan, heaven, hell, right, wrong, sin, uh, holiness. I, I don't understand how you can come up with that, something different than, than those um, opposites all through Scripture. Okay? So, so let's look at the judgment, but then I want to show you two sides of this. And one, one we probably all get, and I want to remind us of, and the other one you may not even process, but it's just as important. Revelation chapter 20, 
And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence. But they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. Now, <clears throat> let, me, let me throw this out here as, as, we, as we jump into this so you, your mind is thinking right. One of the biggest things that, um, that anti-hell uh, people use, one of, the, one of the theological things they use, is that there's a word in the Greek called Gahana that is an explanation is used for um, hell. And basically this word can be used... One way, it can be used two different ways. It can be used in a temporal sense that it was a place on earth that there was a bunch of uh, fire pits and things like that, and they would, they would sacrifice their kids into these. This going way back in the Old Testament, the God of Molech, they would sacrifice their children. There was this fire pit outside of uh, Jerusalem, huge, huge, like a big uh, trash, uh, trash uh, heap that was burning all the time. And, uh, and that was true. That existed. And so because, and that was called that. That was not what it was, but it, the nickname that it was given was Gehana. It would be used for that also. So then when, when uh, Jesus or somebody in the New Testament would use the word Gehana, pe- proponents today would say that they are re- referencing that Jesus and those people at the time were referencing this big burning, smoldering fire pit called Gehana. Okay. The problem with that thinking is that's, that was a physical place, temporary, and, and when Jesus and, the, and Paul and different ones through the New Testament are using the scriptures of, he, of hell, and by the way, there are a lot more than just Gehana, and all the rest of them mean more than just a temporal earth thing, okay? But anytime they're referencing, they're talking about something that happens after humanity has ceased to exist on this earth in the way that we know it now. So if they're referencing something like a big burning fire pit, how does that work if we're all gone from here and we're stepping into eternity? This scripture is one of the scriptures that lets us know that what they're talking about is something that happens after we leave this earth. So when we're talking about hell... We're not talking about a temporary place on earth that you would be punished to or your dead body put in, okay? He says, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. You understand this, that he can, they cannot be talking about putting a body in a burning pit on earth. This is the dead that have been brought back into a living understanding so that they can stand before judgment and see which, where they're going to end up. This is not, are you going to be put in a fire pit on the earth? Okay? The dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened up. I, I remember the time when I, I was a youth pastor, when I realized that that scripture said books. Because the way I'd always seen this all my life was there's one book. It's the book of life. Right? One big book. God opens the book. Your name's in there. You go to heaven. Your name's not in there. You go to hell. And, and that was it. But this says the books, plural, were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So there's a lot of books that are opened, and all of us that are standing there are judged according to what is in those books. Now, this is not whether you're going to heaven or hell. We're not to that yet. Okay? This is books 
and you're going to be judged according to those books. This is not eternal judgment. This, I mean, it is, but this is not uh, heaven or hell judgment. This is what you did on this earth. Now, here's what's interesting, because for years and years and years, decades, I saw this one way, and then it clicked one day, that if, we're, if all of these books are filled with stuff, and all of, the, all of us are judged for what is in those books, and the book of life is what decides whether we go to heaven or hell, then is there the possibility that these books include good and bad? Think about that. Because I believe greatly that they do. They include both. Okay? Now, <clears throat> let's read on because there's. we'll explain that a, a little bit more too. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. It doesn't say bad things. They were just judged according to what they had done. Good and bad. The sea gave up its dead and death. And the grave gave up their dead. And they were all judged according to their deeds. This is, this is a very important thing we got we to gotta, uh, grab onto, get into our brain, get into our spirit, because the church has worked very hard over the last, say, 50 years, really working very hard to make sure that, that every Christian does not believe that what they do has any bearing on anything. Salvation is not dependent upon your works. That's a true statement. You can't get saved according to any work. But if you're a Christian, you're going to be doing stuff. You're going to be working. If you're a Christian, you're going to be actively involved in the kingdom. You're going to be doing stuff. When we step into this, to this great throne moment and God says, well done, he does not say well intentioned. He doesn't say well thought through, well wanted, well desired, your heart was good. He says, well done. That means you done stuff. That's what he's going to be judging. That's what all these books are judging is what have you done what are you doing? What is your life engaged with? <clears throat> now, we have, we have worked so hard to make sure that no, it's not about works. It's not about works. It's not about works. And I get that coming from the mentality from my past, coming from the mentality that if you work really, really hard, God will like you better. I thought that way. I did. I don't know if I would have verbalized it that way, but I thought if I, if I am a good, good Christian and I do all the things right, then, then I'm going to have extra bonus and extra stuff. And, and, and the way that I heard it all my life is I'm going to have a bunch of extra um, uh, jewels in my crown. Just silly things like that. But what he says is you're going to be judged according to your deeds. You're going to be judged by what you did what you didn't do. Now, this is good and bad because we are going to be giving positions of responsibility. We're going to be giving, uh, given, um, um, I don't know how to, this is not the right way. I don't think this does it justice, but it's the only thing I come up with. We're going to be given like rank uh, in eternity according to what we've done. We see this all going back into the Old Testament. We see it in spiritual warfare and everything. There was, there was levels and ranks there was all kinds of stuff like this. We're going to be giving responsibility. We're going to rule over um, God's kingdom. We're going to priest over God's kingdom. There's going to be responsibility and places of responsibility we're going to be put into that is directly according to, I believe, the deeds that we've done. Now, this is not whether you get to heaven or not. This is once you get to heaven mentality. 
You're gonna, th- there's, why else would he be judging all the stuff we've done? If the book of life gets, gets us either to heaven or hell, and, and that's it, and it doesn't matter, and we made it, so that's okay, then why are all these other books and all the things that we've done, why are they looked at? Why are they assessed? Why are they judged? If they don't have any bearing on anything, why are they judged? Why are they looked at? Because they do have bearing. The things that we're doing on this earth have eternal significance to it. Not not whether you get to eternity with God, but but they have eternal significance as you go into eternity. So all of these books, everything is judged, everyone is judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is not a temporary place on earth. This is after we have left earth, and they are thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And here's the last part. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, that's the the heaven or hell book. Book of life is heaven or hell. That's whether you get to heaven or whether you're thrown into the lake of fire. Now, Now, here's the thing that I would ask anybody that says, and I'm saying specifically theologians that write books and, and teach classes and stuff like that, if they teach there's no hell, what do you do with that sentence? Just that one. I'm not talking the dozens and dozens of other sentences. Just that sentence. If there's no hell, what are we talking about here? Right? Now, I think part of the reason that the church does this um, is because they don't want there to be a hell. It would just be easier on everybody, including pastors, if there was no hell. Because knowing that there's a hell and and having to address that changes the way guys like me uh, speak. But if there's no hell, then we can leave that that whole chunk, and it's a big one, of kingdom of God understanding and theology We can leave that to the side because, well, there's not really a hell. That's something that people have made up. Now we can just start from kind of like middle of the road over to everybody gets uh, ice cream and cotton candy every day. That that somewhere, somewhere we go that direction. But there's a direct accountability to all of this. Now, here's here's the first part. Here's the first part of this. Number one is that sin will be exposed. Now, this used to be something that um, it really bothered me. I, um, this was back in the day because I wasn't serving Jesus. I was scared to death of, of my sin being exposed because I had a lot of it. And I was doing pretty good hiding it all. Um, that, that's one of the things that kind of comes along with, uh, with sin is you don't want people to know about it, Right? And here's the thing, as I, as I start off, this would be a good place to put this. If there's something in your life right now that you would be, um, that you, you don't want everybody in this room to know, you ought to analyze that. Why, why would there be something in your life that everybody in this room, it would not be good for them to know? Now, I'm not saying embarrassing things. I'm saying things that, well, I guess embarrassing is the right word, but but why do you not want everybody to know? Because I've thought about this. I think about this every now and then because um, I'm a pastor. And I'm thinking, what if, and, and any time I hear some pastor fell from, had a moral failure or something like that, I always think to myself, 
Is there anything in my life right now that if I'm, if I'm standing here and somebody walks in and says, can I say something? And for some dumb reason, I give them a microphone and, and I say, sure, take a few minutes, please. And they begin to say things about me. I'm saying truth, not, pe- not stuff that people make up or lie. That, that happens to me, um, actually quite a lot. So, but I'm saying truth, just truth about me. Is there anything that I would not want somebody to say? Because if there is, that's, you need to start right there with your spiritual walk. Whatever that is, that's where you need to start. Not all the other stuff that you're doing, all of the, the, the good stuff that you put in there. You go, oh, that's, you know, this helps me look good. But if there's something that you can't, that you don't want anybody to know and you don't want it revealed right now, that's where you need to start in your spiritual walk. That, that really is. And this would be my question. Um, if you know that, why would you not want to immediately, right now, before we leave this service, get that right with God? I mean, to me, that's, that's the thing. If you've got stuff hidden, <clears throat> this is, I, I, get, I get conversations, I get questions like this every now and then, but um, th- th- when, when phones started being able to track e- each other kind of thing, um, I, I, some, another pastor that I know was saying, well, I don't want my wife knowing where I am all the time. And I thought, why not? Why do you not? What are you doing that you don't want your wife to know? And, and sometimes people say, well, it's just an idea. I don't want people to be tracking me. I don't want people to be tracking me, but I think my wife has a right to track me. No matter where I'm going, what I'm doing, she has a right to know everything. In fact, I, this, if you had the ability to like pin a GoPro on your forehead... And, and everything you saw, did, said, everything, your wife was real-time tracking you? I think she has that right. If you're one. Now, I think most of the time my wife would be just saying, oh, he's an idiot. You know, I, I don't think, I think that's what she would be doing more than anything else. I, I don't think she'd be going, he shouldn't be doing that. She'd be just like, why, why? Did, do you have brains? You know, that kind of thing. But, but guys, that's, this, is where, this is where we've got to be careful. If everything is going to be exposed, wouldn't you rather it be exposed here on earth than at the judgment? Wouldn't you rather be exposed here and, and be embarrassed or do whatever and get it under the blood and make sure you're right with God than be exposed at the judgment? Look, look at this, okay? Luke chapter 12. Meanwhile... The crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Can I get, Jerry, do you mind, can you go get me some water? I am, I am dying up here. I hate to ask that, but <clears throat> my throat is very dry. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, beware of the coronavirus. Oh, I'm sorry, that says, <laughs> you know, this is, I always pick on drinking. Guys, this is another reason. You should not be drinking Coronas. (laughs) Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. don't, Don't you like the fact, of course, this is God, 
and he knows everything, and he knows what to say and how to do it. But he could have used a, a dozen different examples. Thanks, Jerry. He could have used a, different, a dozen different examples here, but what he uses it is powerful. He uses yeast as the example. Oh, that's so much better. <clears throat> Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Why? Because a little bit of yeast gets in and it affects the entire um, uh, mixture. It affects the entire, all of the bread. This was, I'd, I'd heard this before. I'd seen this, all examples of yeast and all kinds of things. But this is one moment when it hit Linda and I very, very strong. We had, um, we, our, our uh, church at the time was selling, um, I don't even know why. I think we were selling them. I think we were selling breadsticks. And, and we would have boxes, and the boxes would be about like this, okay? And they would have long, thin, frozen breadsticks about three rows inside these boxes, maybe four rows inside these boxes. And when you made a loaf of bread, you would take this um, about that long, around, frozen breadstick, and you would set it out on wax paper um, all afternoon, and as it thawed, it, the yeast would uh, activate, and as it got warm, it would begin to rise. And this little breadstick about like this would turn into a loaf about this long and about this big around, a big Italian-like French loaf. I know I mixed two countries because I don't know. So, um, but a big thing of bread like that big, right? Okay. So we, <clears throat> I think our church was selling them, but we had about 20 of these boxes in our freezer in our garage. And we, we had gone to Denver, and this we lived out east of Denver, and, and we had gone to Denver, and we were spinning all day, and we didn't know it, but the day before, um, as we, uh, as we were, were all going to bed, the breaker in the, uh, the garage uh, went off, and our freezer in the garage went out. Now, we didn't know that, right? So, actually, it was about two days. And so we, 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 you know, we're going in Denver, doing all this stuff. And when we get back, this had been, this had been off for at least two days. Uh, when we get back, all of these breadsticks, there are hundreds of these breadsticks in our freezer. And each one would get about this big. It, it, it blew the door off of the freezer. And there was, um, remember the old movie in the 60s, A Blob That Ate Chicago? Some of you guys don't know what I'm talking about, but the blob was the first one. I think the blob ate Chicago was like the second one. I don't know. But this, this yeast dough thing had come out of our freezer and was moving across the garage floor. And it was, it was huge. It was, it was as big as our car moving across the garage floor. You know, we open the garage, we pull her, and you're like, wait a second. You know, it was, it was tan. It was... It was bread. My first reaction when I saw that and opened, I was like, mm, I bet that's good. Mm. But then I realized, no, it's probably not. But th this, is, this is something that I think is, for me, that is, that is stuck in my head now. When I see the yeast, be, be, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, I see this huge blob taking over my garage. It was contained when it was nice frozen breadsticks and the yeast had not activated, it was all contained. But the moment that yeast activated, and this is what Jesus is saying, be careful 
Because when Satan gets to starting to mess with you, when, when, the, when the Pharisees, when religious control, when all these things begin to start messing with you, it gets one little part of this in your spirit can take over everything. One little tiny, tiny element of, of attitude, rebellion, sin, it will take over. And you think it's innocuous, you think it doesn't matter, all these different things, and it will, it will eventually control you. It will, we, we would take that dough and we would cut big chunks out of it out and we'd put it in a wheelbarrow and we'd take it to the dumpster. Well, here's the thing I didn't process. It wasn't done yet. The, it took over the dumpster. It's coming out the top of the dumpster. And we still had major pieces of it in our garage that were moving across our garage. You think it doesn't matter. You think that what you're doing, it, it, it doesn't affect anybody. That's one of the biggest things I've heard about sin from people for years. Is, well, it doesn't affect anybody. Why can't I do this? This was the conversation before we made marijuana legal. This is the conversation I'd hear about pot was, if I'm just smoking in my own house, I'm not a, it's not affecting anybody else. What does it matter? Because nothing, nothing doesn't affect everybody else. Nothing, everything affects everybody. Let's say it that way. It, it, you, you don't do anything in a vacuum. If nothing else, even if it doesn't physically or relationally or anything else affect you, the more we allow sin to control, to manipulate, to get in, the more there is darkness rather than light. And darkness just keeps invading and keeps invading. We've got to make sure that we understand everything we do affects people. And just on an individual basis, our sin will be exposed. Everything will be exposed. Now, this is an important time to say this, because I also misunderstood this for many years. Because when I was growing up, I, I, th- this was the way that I had heard it said. And I think this maybe was just popular in the late 70s, early 80s. I don't know, but I heard it everywhere I went, like youth camps, youth conventions, at churches, all kinds of stuff I would hear this. That, that um, the judgment, God's got this big uh, movie screen in the sky, and all of your life is going to be played out on that movie screen in front of everybody else. Did anybody else ever hear that besides me? Right, okay. All right, good. I'm glad we're all um, got this stupidity amongst us all together. Here's the problem with that, because I believed that for years. It says that all of our sins will be exposed. Everything will be brought to light, right? Okay. But if your sin has been forgiven and covered with the blood of Jesus, it is pushed as far as the east from the west, never to be seen or known again or heard from again. It's going to be hidden under the, the, the uh, bottom of the sea is the way it says it. It is going to be forgotten by God. So what's he going to put on the screen? Now, do I believe that your sin will be put on the screen? Yes. Sin that has not been forgiven will be put on the screen. I don't even know if there's a screen. I, I don't like the analogy of the screen. I think that's dumb. But I think, I think what happens is God speaks it and we all know it. Okay. Um, I believe your sin will be made known unless it's under the blood. If it's under the blood, you're forgiven. It doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. So let's say, uh, let's take your life. Let's, let's uh, just take 100 years. You got a life, 100 years, okay? Um, you spent, and I'm saying if you added up minutes or hours or whatever, I don't know. 
You spent um, 50 years worth of that 100 years sinning and the other 50 serving God, okay? If Jesus forgives you and it's all completely erased, gone, forgotten, then when he opens the books, what is he revealing to us? He's good stuff. Stuff that you've done that's, that's good because under the blood stuff's gone. Now, I do believe this is why, and I don't necessarily know that's why, but it's good motivation for me, is, is this is why repentance should be part of our existence because I don't want anything out there that's between me and God. I'm not necessarily concerned whether everybody knows it. That's not as big of a priority, although it would be embarrassing. But I'm more concerned with I don't want anything between me and Jesus. And if I repent, he pushes as far as the east is from the west, and there's nothing between him and I. Instantly, he forgets. That's great. And he and I are good. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed. And all that is secret will be made known to all. Now for some people that, and I'm one of these people specifically with things going on in our country today, politics and everything else. I want everything exposed. I'm tired of the lies. I'm tired of the manipulation. I'm tired of the, the, the backstabbing. I'm tired of all the stuff that's going on in in the politics of our country. I'm just tired of the lies of the LGBT stuff. I'm tired of the lies of abortion. I'm tired of all this stuff. And I want it to be revealed. I want it to be made known. I want it to be brought out into the light. Now, this, this is, if you're, if you're like me and you want to see this right now, this sentence doesn't necessarily help you with this, but this sentence is good when it comes to understanding that there is such a thing as God's justice and God's righteousness. All this stuff will be revealed someday. Maybe not according to my timelines, which is right now. But that's a good thing because there's probably stuff that I don't want revealed. I just don't know it. So if I, if I, had, if I had the ability to be God for five minutes and, and I said, okay, then everything, all sin is revealed, I, I don't know that it would be beneficial for our country. All the stuff I want revealed would be beneficial. But what all about all the stuff I don't want revealed but I don't know about? Right? So here's the reality. God is going to bring everything to light. Everything will be exposed. But it's going to be exposed according to his timelines and not somebody limited like me. His timelines. Because he is just. And he is righteous. And, and he will make sure that this stuff is known. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. You know, it's amazing how easily we can get caught up in things like that. And we don't put it in a category that God cares. But he does. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. I, I believe that's one of the things that's going to, that's gonna, uh, well, it is already affecting people's relationship with God. And I think that's one of the things that's going to keep people out of eternity. Is they love something else more than they love God. They love things more than they love God. They love uh, the accumulation of things. Or they love wealth or whatever. They love more than God. And if you're chasing after something else more than you're chasing after God, you're not going to end up in eternity with him. You're going to end up in eternity with what you're chasing. And, and if it's not God. 
Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. The anger of God. This is why when we use the term fear of God and we try to make it all about uh, respect and all that kind of stuff, that is part of the definition. But you can see this sentence, it's not talking about respect. Okay, The anger of God will fall on all those who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. And this is why sin affects everybody, whether it's directly affecting somebody or not. Sin affects everybody because there's, there's light and there's darkness. You're one, of, you're one of those two. You're not both. You're not semi-light. You're not a dimmable bulb. You're either light or you're darkness, and whatever you are is what you are spreading. You're either spreading darkness or you're spreading light. If you belong to Jesus, you're spreading light. This is why sin is such a big deal. Because when, when, we, when we can be convinced, tempted, whatever, and then follow through with sin, we are actually now putting out our light and spreading darkness. And that affects everybody. Carefully determine what pre- pleases the Lord. Carefully. Take time. Be intentional about what it pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. And this is where I think the church has majorly derailed today in America, is that while we may say, I'm not going to be a part of that sin, we don't expose it. We don't talk about it. We don't go down that road. But if you go back to um, Zechariah, it talks about where... um, that God will judge everybody, and, and the, he has an angel fly through, and he has an angel put a mark on the foreheads of everybody that's following God, and anybody that does not follow God does not have the mark on, the for, on their forehead. And it says that the angel is to put a mark on their forehead of everybody that is disgusted by sin, that hates sin. It doesn't say people that are not sinning put a mark on their forehead. It says put a mark on the forehead of people that are disgusted by sin and that hate sin. That is not not where we are at large in America, in the church in America today. We don't don't want to sin, but as I mentioned a few weeks ago, the the catchphrase in in about 15 years ago to 10 years ago became, for sin became, it's not God's best for you. It's worse than not God's best. It's destructive. It's Satan's plan for you. And we've got to be, we've got to be repelled by sin. Not just, oh, I'm not going to do it. And that's what he's saying here, is that instead, expose them. It is shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed and the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. That is why it's said. I, when I was a kid, I heard a, a pastor preach on this, and he said, when God shines a light, it'll be like a bunch of uh, cockroaches that, that, that run away when you turn the kitchen light on kind of thing. Except that's not what this says. It doesn't say you can run anywhere. It says when, when Jesus shines his light, you're exposed. It doesn't say you can hide. And find more darkness as you're exposed. It says, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. And if, man, if we could get that sentence right now in our country, 
Stop living like fools. Live like people that are wise. This, this sentence has messed with me for years, and I'm thinking I am beginning to see uh, elements that can, that can explain it to me now. But for years, it would say that when the Antichrist reveals himself, that even the elect, even good, solid, uh, sold-out-to-Jesus Christians will be deceived. I've never been able to understand that. If you're really, if you're really um, uh, part of the body of Christ, how can you be deceived? Well, the reality is, is you're listening to the voices instead of listening to the voice of Jesus. It doesn't mean you don't want to serve him, but you're listening to other voices. The deception comes along because there is somebody feeding that. Deception doesn't just happen. It has to be fed to you. Somebody has to be tempting you. Somebody has to be trying to explain something. There has to be some kind of input that's happening. So apparently you're listening to that more than you're listening to the Holy Spirit. That's why I, I wish I had the ability to, to right now today or yesterday when a bunch of churches were deciding whether or not they're going to have church. I wish I could fast forward six months and see what's going on six months from now. Would that help them make their decision right now, today? Six months from now when our governor is still saying, uh, we should stop having church. This is the crazy thing, too, that gets me. So as long as we only have 149 people, nobody gets coronavirus? But that when that 150th person walks in, you now have coronavirus. I would say that person is the coronavirus carrier. All right. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine. You understand being drunk with wine is all these other things. Being foolish, um, not being wise plugging into evil days, acting thoughtlessly, not doing what the Lord wants you to do. That, the, next sin, the next words are don't be drunk with wine. It's because it's all that stuff. Because it will ruin your life. Does anybody argue with that, that, that being drunk will eventually ruin your life? We know this stuff. We know this stuff, but we still play games. I had somebody tell me one time, there's no difference in drinking alcohol and drinking coffee. How, how many domestic violence cases are there because of coffee? Seriously. How many people drink a cup of coffee and, and then go beat their kids? But those are things that happen when people get drunk. How many, how many deaths, how many um, coffee-driving deaths have you heard of? Shall I continue? Think about this stuff. We, we, we act so unwise, and then we wonder why our world's like it is. We wonder why our country's like it is. But we're doing all of these things that he says, living like fools, not being wise, um, living in evil days, acting evilly, acting thoughtlessly, not doing what the Lord wants you to do. We do that stuff, drinking, getting drunk, all this stuff. We do that stuff, and then we look at our world and our life and everything. We're like, why isn't God doing things? Why isn't, why isn't this stuff happening? Why isn't the Spirit of God moving? Why are churches like this? Why is our country like this? <laughs> don't be drunk with wine because it'll ruin your life. Instead, instead, because you can't do both, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't, those are not compatible things. You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're being drunk with wine. Okay? 
singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Now, that's the first part, and I want to finish it with this last part. Because I think this is just as important, and I didn't see this for years and years, that when the books are open, if the blood of Jesus has covered you, then what's in those books is the good things that you've done. In Psalms chapter 1, I believe that, that your faithfulness will be seen in the books. Th- this is good. Because I never, I didn't know there was a place for that. I just assumed the judgment was this horrible, scary thing where God's like, uh, Scott, is your name written? And everybody waits. And God takes a few seconds for the tension to build. And, and, and he says, Scott, your name's not in the book of life. You go to hell. And you know, 10 billion people go, I I mean, that's the way I looked at it. I didn't see any good in this. But but you know what else is going to be exposed is your heart for the Lord, your love for God. That's going to be exposed. You know what else is going to be exposed when you did things that nobody knew about, but God knew. When you helped somebody, when you prayed for somebody, when you took time that you didn't want to take and you invested in somebody's life for the kingdom of God. Those things are going to be exposed. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. That's, that's a powerful sentence because Paul recognizes that, that they, they do have love, and it's already overflowing. He wants it to overflow more. They do have knowledge and understanding, and he wants their knowledge and understanding to grow. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's returns. And that's the, that's the key to Christianity, is, is, is how, how we're serving God. This is the key, is knowing what really matters. That's, that's, our, that's the journey we're on. That's the search we're on. What really matters and what doesn't matter. What we spend time on and what we shouldn't. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. That's a a great statement. Some of the things that you guys are doing that nobody else knows about, it's bringing glory to God. People may not see it, but that's okay. It's bringing glory to God. He knows. This is is the sentence that always comes to my mind when I think like that, is when Paul says, don't don't get tired of doing the right thing, or don't be weary in well-doing, is what King James says. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. Why? Because it's more than just that moment that you're doing it for. You're doing it for the kingdom. You're putting another, you put another brick in the wall of the kingdom of God. You're building this kingdom. You're shining light where there's darkness. God's going to honor that. He's going to recognize. He's going to see that. He's going he's to shout out this stuff at the end time. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. Don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed. Just because somebody's messing with you or harassing you or something's going on that's bad, it's okay, but God will reveal it. Not as soon as we want him to, right? And I get that. But he will reveal it. And all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the rooftops for all to hear. Why don't you stand with me? I know, <clears throat> I know everything's going to be exposed. 
So to me, this should be the natural, um, this should be the natural next step. At least in my head, this is the natural next step. Let's do two things. Let's pray, God, forgive me of anything I've ever done. Wipe it away. Doesn't that kind of make sense at this moment? Just wipe it away, Lord. Just wipe it away. And then the second thing is, and God, show me, teach me, develop me to do the things that you've called me to do. Because I want those shouted out too. I want, I want everybody to know all of the things that I'm doing for God. Sounds selfish, but it's because you usually only get to hear about the bad things, right? But God's going to shout out the good stuff. It's going to be laid open before everybody, right? Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to forgive us. Jesus, let your blood just wash down over us right now. Wash us clean. Lord, I pray for, I pray for our entire state. Lord, I plead your blood over our state. God, I pray against sin. I pray against sin. From the governor's office to the, to the baby that's just born this morning. Lord, I pray against sin. Lord, we pray for truth. We pray for righteousness. Lord, we ask you to forgive us. Wash us clean. God, I pray against I pray against the lies of homosexuality. All the way to the governor's office. Lord, I pray against those sins. I pray against the sin of abortion. I pray against it. God, I pray against the lies that Satan tries to tell people. The lies that Satan tries to manipulate people with. The, the same lies that he told Adam and Eve. God, I pray against that. Lord, we want to know you. We need to know you. We need to be forgiven and covered with your blood, Jesus. I pray for our country. Pray for our president. Pray for the Senate and the Congress. I pray for the Supreme Court. God, I pray against anybody, congressman, senator, anybody. I pray against anybody that would threaten our Supreme Court. I pray against them in the name of Jesus. God, and I ask you to bring wisdom to our Supreme Court, light to our Supreme Court. <clears throat> I pray light into our, into our, our Congress and our Senate. I pray against darkness. I, I pray against it and I pray light. I pray light for President Trump. I pray against any darkness. I pray light. Lord, I pray light right here in this room. Jesus, we would see clearly. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. I pray this for Colorado Springs. I pray this for the state of Colorado, for the United States, that we would see truth. We would see truth, understand it, and walk toward it, and leave the lies and the stupidity behind. In Jesus' name. God, help us to be who you've called us to be. Help us to do the things you've called us to do. Lord, I pray for every one of us here, all, all Christians. I, I pray across our nation, across our world, that we would not be weary in doing the right thing. Because you will reveal, someday, you will reveal the things that we did for you. 
You will make it known when we, when we chased after you. We'll make it known when we prayed for somebody, when we ministered to somebody, when we gave to somebody, when we did something for your kingdom, gave to a missionary. It's all going to be, it's all going to be made known. So Lord, help us to stay in there, dig in, stay strong, and be who you called us to be. Be who you've called us to be. And God, I, I just pray against, in the name of Jesus, I pray against lies and darkness. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Let me encourage you. <clears throat> Before you, I'm going to say this because it's, it's a mind game. It's purely manipulation. When you lay your head down on your pillow tonight, you're going to be reminded of this. When your head hits the pillow, I'm praying you'll be reminded. Okay, get that picture in your head. So when you lay your pillow down, you'll be reminded when you lay on your pillow. So here's the thing. As you drift off to sleep, pray for our country. Spend the last moments of this day praying for our country. Praying for, for that people won't get the coronavirus. Praying that our government will, will open its eyes. Praying just that God will be God. I, I love the fact that, that Friday or yesterday, whenever it was, when President Trump said, let's spend today praying. I like that. I like that. So do that very thing. All right, before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity let somebody know Jesus loves them. Tell somebody about Jesus. Use coronavirus somehow. Use Pat's Blue Ribbon virus. Use Coors Light virus. Whatever you got, use this to tell somebody about Jesus. And God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So um, wave high across the room to people, and we will see you Wednesday night. Business meeting, yes. Don't forget, Wednesday night. Oh, and we need everybody here, not just voting members. We need everybody. Be here at the business meeting.